Well, happy Mother's Day one more time. Uh, welcome to all. I mean, everyone who's here, we're truly glad that you're here, but a special welcome to all the moms, grandmothers, great-grandmothers, stepmoms, mother figures, foster moms, uh, moms uh, in training who are soon to be a mom. If you're any kind of title of mom in your life, thank you uh, for the sacrifice that, that you have made. Uh, Betsy did a great job of kind of hitting on that. Mother's Day is typically a day where moms receive gifts of some kind, and so we really wanted to uh, show our love, and, and so was, you know, we've got MJ's coffee card out there. If you've not already gotten your free coffee, make sure to do that before you head out. Uh, like Betsy said, it, it's for all ladies, mom or not, um, you get a free coffee on there, and then um, we also have the photo op. Uh, basically, this is our first year doing this, and, and so we would love any feedback, but uh, just also ask you to kind of work with us, uh, be set up over here on the side of the barn. Um, if you want more than one pose, you are welcome to do that. Just kind of work with the photographer that we have set up. Um, but do remember, you have other people waiting behind you, and so she'll do a good job of kind of working through people pretty quickly. And then after a few weeks, when all the photos have been processed, and, and depending on how much I can bribe people to Photoshop and some fun little things, um, <laughs> then they'll, the, they'll be made available. So make sure you fill out one of the forms with your information, email, and all that so that we can get those digital prints to you. And if you want to uh, order directly through the photographer or order on your own, uh, that will be your prerogative. Um, you know, many times on Mother's Day, I've seen a lot of churches where they'll set up like a Mother's Day specific message. And they just, whether it's having a mom come up and share her story or, or uh, there's something kind of focused on moms in that sense. And, and that's not really the direction we're going to go today. Kind of similar, uh, but not quite spot on. Really, in this theme of giving gifts, uh, we want to give one more gift to all the moms. And so we're going to have a message on siblings. Uh, our heart is that we can maybe kind of uh, see some wisdom in that. And, and if the siblings can get along, uh, that makes mom a, a happy, happy person. And so that, that's our one last gift to you this morning. And so off that vein, let me ask this question of all of us. Have you ever experienced conflict among siblings? And this doesn't even need to be like your own sibling. Maybe you're an only child and, and you never had a sibling, but you've known people who have siblings, right? A, a friend of mine, uh, these two brothers, Next year, are both dear friends of mine now. Uh, but in high school, they could not stand each other. They, they honestly could not stand each other. And we had, uh, we were all part of this ministry where, um, I think it was Friday mornings, we would have this crazy early meeting that we had to, had to get up for and, and uh, had to meet like for an hour and a half before school. And so we were there super early. And uh, most of us <clears throat> couldn't drive yet. Some could, some couldn't. And so if your parents weren't willing uh, to get up and, and drive you at this crazy morning, you had to find a friend who could drive, who would get up and, and, and pick you up. And well, they're brothers, so obviously they live in the same house. And so you think, okay, one of them can organize a ride and they could ride together. But there was such animosity between them at that season of life that they would actually both coordinate separate rides to come to the same house, pick each one up individually, and then go to the same house somewhere else for this morning meeting. Uh, it, was, it was hilarious. We, we fully realized the extent of this one morning where one brother was there and the other one was not. And we asked the question, where's your brother? You know, didn't you see him at home? He was like, I don't know. He got to ride with so-and-so. Like, how, how do you not ride together? I mean, there was such uh, animosity there that they wouldn't even ride together um, when it made perfect sense that, that they should. I've seen this kind of struggle in my own kids. I mean, I got kids seven, four, and two, um, and I've already seen kind of some of the struggle with having siblings. Last night, even, um, they all got a sucker for dessert, and um, my son had gotten his first, and he's a little more aggressive when it comes to the treats, and so he downed that thing in a second, and my girls have learned to savor it a little more, and so there's about a good 15-minute window there where the girls still had a sucker, and he didn't, and being a typical little brother, he wasn't fighting, he wasn't attacking, he was plotting. 
And he stood in the, in the, the, wind, in the, 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 the wings of where life was happening in our living room. And, and I, I watched this from a side where my, my daughter pulled the sucker out of her hand, looked to mom to say something, and he darts in and grabs that right out of her hand. And okay, to give it back. And he kept going, trying to grab it right out of their hands. And when that didn't work, he tried the dive bomb attack where he leaves it in their hand and he just tries to get it in his mouth while they're still holding on to it. <laughs> there is a struggle having siblings. Um, growing up in our family, you really can't blame it on my sister and I. It really probably was more my dad. Uh, but we had epic water battles. Um, see, when dad kind of pushes the envelope, that gives you permission to push it that much more. And so uh, usually these resulted in the three of us, me, my sister, and my dad, uh, absolutely soaked. Half of the house, because these went from being beginning outdoors to moving their way indoors, um, to half the house being soaked, and mom is just not happy. So mom, I'm sorry for that. Um, she's actually here with us this morning. But in one of these moments where uh, we went from squirting the hose in through screen, w- w- window screens and all that kind of stuff, I'm chasing my sister through the backyard, and I got the hose. I mean, th- th- you just got, like, the big guns, you know. And so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get her with the hose, and she's thinking, I'll be clever, and I'll hop the fence. Well, it was a, a pretty formidable fence, and she got halfway. So here she is sitting on the top of the fence, and it wasn't like a barbed wire kind of fence, but it had a little bit of a spike to the top, and so you had to be careful going the rest of the way over. And when you're being attacked by water, it's hard to kind of get your footing and all that. And so this resulted in my sister being stuck at the top of the fence, and me just standing there with the hose full blast, watering my sister to see what will grow. (laughs) If you have any experience with siblings, you know there is struggle amongst siblings. And I think sometimes when we think about siblings, one of the first things we think of is when we're young, right? When we were kids and those kind of things. But the truth is, these struggles come with us. As we grow up, they just get bigger as life issues become larger that we have to face and we have to deal with. And I understand that we all come from different families, different backgrounds, different values, different approaches to family. Some of us maybe have a great sense of family. When you think about family, it just it, something wells up inside, like, man, this is, this is family. We're with each other. We're united together. We care for each other through thick and thin. Maybe you have a more negative experience where you just want nothing to do with your family because every time you're around each other, just more conflict comes up. Maybe you're in a situation where you're estranged, uh, estranged from your other siblings. There's been such conflict that, that arose that just you broke ties with each other. And you don't even spend time with one another. Maybe you're in a situation where you're best friends with your sibling. You, you consider them your closest and dearest friends. Some of us grew up in a more traditional family life. Mom, dad, and, and 2.3 kids. And I'm not sure what the stat is nowadays what the average would be. Um, it'd be a lot higher here at Meadowland. We have a... a, a Propensity towards large families, which is a beautiful thing. Whereas others come from a, a, a more of a blended family, a family that's more blended than banana smoothie, and you just have all these different dynamics involved there. And um, I feel like I got to kind of walk both roads a little bit. Um, growing up through most of my, my uh, childhood, it was just me, my, me, my sister, and my mom and my, and my dad. And then in junior high and, and, uh, junior high and senior high, there was divorce and remarriage and divorce and whatnot that went from being two of us to then we added five more. Uh, with my stepdad, he brought five kids to the mix, and so there were seven. And then my stepmom brought two more to the mix, and now there is nine spread amongst uh, two different states. Uh, and then there was another divorce, now we're back down to seven. And then uh, my mom was introduced to these dogs called Bouvier de Flanders, which she absolutely loves and adores. And so I think now we're back up to ten, because um, I think they've beaten me out in the will. <laughs> but that's, that's okay. I still love you, Mom. <laughs> 
So we all have these different pictures of, of family, and you know, maybe you have half-siblings, or you have foster siblings, or you have no siblings, and it, we have these different pictures of what family is, and I, I understand that it may be great emotions that you're feeling right now as we're thinking on this, as you're seeing where we're going, or this might be like dread, like I do not want to talk about this. This, this brings up such bad uh, uh, stories and, and memories and whatnot. Wherever you are on that, the question that we're looking to answer here this morning is, is what are family relationships supposed to look like? Specifically in the context of siblings, uh, but this, this applies really to all, all family relationships. And, and the heart of this series has really been because of who Jesus is, because of what he's done in our life, because of what he's done for us, in light of that, what should these family relationships look like? If Jesus truly is Lord and Savior, if he truly is God, then what he says matters, and what he does carries weight. What he calls us to should have an impact on our life. And so we're asking this question here this morning, what should our sibling relationships look like? What should our family relationships look like in light of the gospel? See, we, we can look through the scriptures. You can find all kinds of different stories uh, of siblings. And honestly, if you're in a situation right now where you're feeling like, man, our, our family's a mess, don't worry, you're going to feel like you're in great company. We'll look through some of these stories real quick. I mean, you don't have to go far. Uh, just start at the very beginning with, with Adam and Eve. They had Cain and Abel. If you're familiar with that story, the, the first brothers uh, also committed the first murder. Where, where Cain uh, murdered Abel, and then even when God confronted him on it, before he called, he said, hey, where's your brother? Knowing that he, what he had done. And Cain's response is, am I my brother's keeper? Am I supposed to know where he is? Well, he knew very well he, where he was because he had just murdered him in a field. We continue through the, 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 the biblical timeline. We see Jacob and Esau. They're actually twins who are fighting in the womb. We see a text from the that there was turmoil in the womb. And that continues even after they're born uh, with this battle for who gets the birthright. Uh, between the two. Joseph's brothers sell, sold him into slavery. And you think that's bad. That was plan B. Plan A was drop him in a well and leave him there to starve. But plan B became we're going to sell our brother into slavery out of jealousy. David's family is an absolute mess. Uh, we might be more familiar with uh, King David, David and Bathsheba, uh, David and Goliath, some of those stories. But if you look at his life at the end of his days as king and then what happens with his, his children... There are just some stories that are an absolute mess. You have stories of betrayal, stories of sexual assault, and stories of murder. You get some better pictures here of, of Moses and Aaron. While they have their conflict, uh, there was still a mutual support of one another, and they, they, they labored together in ministry. Uh, but then it kind of turns south again. If you're familiar with the story of Gideon, it says Gideon had about 70 sons, and one of them, Abimelech, killed the rest of them to really ensure his leadership in taking on the family. We see in the New Testament when Jesus finds Andrew, one of the first things Andrew does is he goes and finds his brother. He says, hey, we found the Messiah. Here we're getting to see some stories that we can emulate. Say, hey, how can we be like Andrew? How can we be like James and John, the sons of thunder, who both got to be disciples together as literal brothers? They were brothers in Christ. We can even look to James and Jude and others who were the, the, the physical brothers of Jesus. I know sometimes we don't think about the rest of the story, but we have Mary who was conceived of the Holy Spirit and gave birth to Jesus, but she was still married to Joseph. And so there were children that came after that, and we see that there are other brothers, James and Jude. And we've asked the question here before, um, what would it take to convince you that your older brother is the Son of God? I was think about that. What would it take to convince you? So if you want you know, some, some, some tangible proof 
of others who believe that Jesus is the Son of God, look at the life of James, look at the life of his brother Jude, who were both leaders in the early church, who endured a, a persecution and, and sacrificed much because they believed their brother was the Son of God. Again, we can look at some of these. Some of these we can emulate, but a lot of these, man, uh, maybe you're kind of feeling like, okay, my, my issues aren't as bad anymore, um, or maybe you can feel in, in present company there. But see, one of the challenges when we want to study what does the Bible teach about these sibling relationships is you can do a word study and find the word brother all throughout Scripture. But so many times, it's actually in relation to a sense of brotherhood or, or brethren, meaning that those who are united in a common vision, you know, we're brothers in Christ, and there's, there's a picture of a family you want to paint, but it's not specifically talking about a brother uh, and sister or brother and brother context. And so it's drawing from that, but it's not, that's not the, the context of, of the, the text. And let me give you a few examples of this. Psalms 133.1 says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. So either this is telling us that this is what a brother uh, relationship looks like, that, that you dwell together in unity, or it's saying that because this is what a, a brother's relationship looks like, if you're in a brotherhood with others, then this is how you go and live. So it's either painting a picture for actual siblings or, or it could be saying, no, because siblings are, should be living this way in our brotherhood, this is how we then go and live. We see in Romans 12, 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. We see this family picture. It's being uh, described. This is what brothers do. But that's also used as an example for uh, how, how we're to love, uh, how we are to um, those who, who would join together in this particular case in the brotherhood of Christ how we then to go in love. And so, in part, if we're answering this question, what should our, our sibling relationships look like? We could look at passages like this and say, in part, well, one, we should live in unity with one another. One, we should live in a way that honors one another. But I want to kind of recap the series here before we go much further. So we started this whole series looking at um, some different relationships in life. Look at the relationship of neighbor. We, we dug into Luke chapter 10, uh, the, the story of the Good Samaritan. Basically, this, this lawyer comes, he's trying to catch Jesus in, in blasphemy and trying to trick him up and uh, basically says, hey, who's my neighbor? And um, he tells the story of this good Samaritan. Basically, uh, we need to know if you're not familiar with the story, as a Samaritan, his audience would have seen him as uh, the villain of the story, but you come to find out that he's actually the hero of the story, and that kind of turned some thoughts upside down for them, but it was this concept, he's the one who was in proximity to someone in need and showed him love and mercy. Then we looked at the relationship of that with our friends, and we asked the question of how do we engage in life with our friends? Have we ever considered the spiritual health of our friends, where they are with Christ? What is the spiritual condition, the spiritual relationship that they have with Jesus? For those that do know him, we can encourage and build each other up with the word of Christ that dwells in us, and those who don't, we can share the peace of Christ that we have ourselves we can share that with them. We ask those kind of questions about where, where, where does my friend stand with Jesus? Have you ever thought of those kinds of questions? And it kind of summed up here in Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And that was really our springboard into last week. We had a, a guest speaker, Joel Honiger, and he's talking about from three, uh, Colossians 3.17, this doing everything as if to the Lord. How does this impact our work? And look at the picture of Mary and Martha back in Luke 10 as well. And where Jesus comes over to their house, and you have Mary, who is uh, basically sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to all that he has to say. And you have Martha, who's distracted with her housework. 
And she says, Jesus, make Mary come and help me. I need help. He says, no, she's chosen uh, what is good. And he didn't tell her that she shouldn't be doing work. Work wasn't the issue. It was the fact that she was distracted. Instead of her focus being first and foremost on Jesus, it was on all these other things that she wanted to get done. We, we had this great lesson from last week about when, we focus, when our focus begins with Jesus, our work becomes an act of worship. It becomes an act of worship. And when we begin with Jesus, that then informs how we engage with others. When our focus is on Jesus first, when all of a sudden that there's conflict in the workplace, that will affect, that will pepper how we um, engage with others. And what I want you to see is that all these different truths we've been hitting on, whether about your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, even siblings today, these can relate in other relationships as well. And so if you don't have any siblings in your life, um, there's still truth in these relationships. Actually, the text we're going to look at here this morning isn't specifically about siblings. And so there's still some truth that we can learn and apply to all the different relationships that we have in life. Um, but I invite you here this morning, for those who have siblings, let's look at this passage through the lens of our struggles with our siblings. You know, each Sunday I kind of hope for uh, some new lesson, some revolutionary truth that maybe you haven't learned before, you haven't uh, fully grasped, that we can kind of share this with you. And um, I'm not sure, hopefully that happens here this morning as well, but also my hope is that you would uh, uh, begin with the person of Jesus. That we begin with the person of Jesus. Because I don't know about you, but when it comes to my family, I don't always begin there. When it comes to engaging with my siblings and with my family, I don't always begin with my focus first on the person of Jesus, especially when it comes to issues of conflict. And why is that? Well, there's a familiarity there that makes it difficult, I think. Your, your family has known you since you've been born, except for maybe your younger siblings, but pretty much you've known them as long as they've been born. They know your highs, they know your lows. They know the stories that you pay them off not to share when you bring you know, a boyfriend or girlfriend over or when you're getting married, this story does not come up around my in-laws. No, not going to happen. You know? they, they know all that kind of stuff about you. They know where you're strong, they know where you're weak. Um, they, they know how to build you up and they know how to embarrass you and humble you uh, in a moment's notice. And because of that, I think, because of that familiarity with family, Sometimes it can be difficult to live a changed life. So if we're trying to live a changed life because of Jesus, because of, of who he is, it can be difficult to live that out when you're in this place of being so known, especially when your faults are so known. What's beautiful about it, why, why we should press on and still try to live a changed life that begins our, our focus with Jesus is because in that sense of familiarity, living a changed life becomes that much more beautiful becomes that much more beautiful. When we can live differently amongst our family and, and, and those, our siblings who know us the best, and say, hey, you know what? Jesus is doing a work in me, and that's why I love differently. That's why I care differently. That's why I humble myself. That's why I live the way that I live is because of Jesus working in me. What a beautiful picture of life change that is. That those who would know you best, those who would assume, oh, no, you're, you know, you're going to do this or that, that, that this is who you are. He said, no, no, that's who I was. I'm a new man. I'm a new woman in Christ. We need to begin with the person of Jesus in all these relationships. If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open up to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 is where we're going to be here for the rest of our time this morning. It'll be on the screen as well. Uh, this is a letter that Paul wrote while he was in prison. He wrote to the church in Philippi, and uh, he helped start this church. And he's been facing persecution. He's actually in prison because he's been sharing the gospel, and so... Uh, 
it wasn't anything he did wrong per se. He wouldn't break any laws, but he's, you know, he's thrown in jail because he was sharing the gospel. And now the church in Philippi is, is facing some of those similar persecutions. They're being persecuted for their faith. And so Paul is hearing about this, and he wants to encourage them. And so he, he writes them this letter to build them up, to encourage them to stay strong in face of, of these persecutions. And one of the reasons I came to this passage for this morning is when, when I think about our struggle with our siblings if you think about being persecuted at home, meaning like where you live, there's kind of a similar connection there, right? If you're living out your faith and all of a sudden, you know, those in your community are persecuted, they're the ones who know you. They're the ones who are doing life together. Okay, well, let's make that a little more of a microcosm. We see it's your family, those who know you. And if they're the ones who have the ability to persecute because they know who you are through and through, well, how do we deal with those struggles? How do we stand strong in the midst of that conflict? And so uh, we're going to look here at Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse one. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And you see again, just like the past weeks, we begin here with because of Jesus. If there's any encouragement in Christ, because of who Jesus is, because of what he did, because of his engagement in our lives, because of the work of the Holy Spirit that was promised to us as followers of Jesus, because of that, be unified, be of one mind, be united. So to those of us here who know Jesus as Lord and Savior, we need to begin here. We need to begin in the sense of being unified in Jesus. For those who don't know Jesus, I would invite you to begin at that same place. Yes, there's some different things that we're going to talk about, about unity and humility, that if you apply into your, your relationships with your siblings, uh, I'm convinced that when we follow God's ways, that, that it'll produce fruit in, the, in your life. It'll, prefer, it'll produce fruit in those relationships. But this all begins on Jesus. And so if we circumvent that, if, if we bypass Jesus, it's all going to go so far into redeeming those relationships. Ultimately, it takes the work of Jesus in our lives, but then uh, it shines as a light to others. They can come and see Jesus, and he can transform their lives as well. And so I encourage us all to begin at this place of Jesus. If you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's as simple as saying, Jesus, I believe that you are God that you lay down your life on the cross as a sacrifice for my sins. The scripture would say in, in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Because of the ways that we've sinned, the ways we've gone against God, whether small or large, it separates us from him. But God in his wisdom, God in his love, made a way for us to be with him by giving us a way to have our sin dealt with. In the Old Testament, that was a series of sacrifices that they would make, uh, but those were insufficient to be a, a, a one time for all sacrifice. And so Jesus came. He was sent by the Father. He lived a perfect life. He walked in our shoes. He laid down his life on the cross that when we trust in him, we can be forgiven of our sin, past, present, and future. Begin there. If you never received Jesus as Lord and Savior, all it takes is, is a prayer to confess that, that. I know I've sinned. I know there's forgiveness of sin in you, Jesus. And I trust in you for that. I make you my Lord, the leader of my life, and my Savior, the forgiver of my sins. And that begins a relationship today that lasts now uh, throughout all of eternity. Let us begin with Jesus. And we see here in Philippians 2, this call to the goal of unity. So the goal is unity. When we're talking about conflict with our siblings specifically. We can say the goal is unity. Can you say that about your relationships with your siblings? I mean, think about the last conflict that you guys address. Is the goal 
unity. Was that ever something that crossed your mind? My guess is probably not. Even as I was digging through this, I'm like, man, I've never really thought that way about conflict with my siblings, about trying to be unified. Now, I I realize if you're not on the same page as your siblings, say you're you're following after Jesus and they they want nothing to do with him, I realize it's going to be hard to be unified on the person of Jesus if they want nothing to do with him. And so we need to find what is that common ground. Ideally, yes, it would be the person of Jesus, but there can be other common ground that we can be unified on. Maybe it's just the sake of if you have strong family values, saying, hey, we're family. This is the family that we've been given, that we got. Hey, we've got to figure this out. Maybe that's where you're unified. Uh, Maybe it's a a mutual heart of restoration, saying, hey, you know what? Uh, We may be at odds right now, but I want you to know I love you, and I, I want to see us work this out. But find that common ground that you can unify together on and then begin that process of being unified. You may say, well, how how do we do that? Well, I I love this because Paul's like, he's reading my mind. Okay, let me talk about how to be unified. He continues in verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So if the goal is unity, unity comes through humility. Humble yourselves. Unity comes through humility. This is where this is getting to be not as much fun as we thought it might be. Okay, so we want to be unified. Okay, okay Steve, call me be humble in the midst of this, this struggle with my, with my sibling. But you have, Steve, you got siblings, right? You, you know what it's like. I, I get it. I get that this is not easy. Because us to consider others more significant, more important than yourselves. Think about this in the context of siblings. In one way or another, anyone who has a sibling, I imagine that we would agree with this statement on some level. Maybe not to the furthest point, but I would imagine we could all agree that we're competing in some way with our siblings. Whether you're competing for mom or dad's affection, attention, their love, and sometimes that can be a felt need and like you're fully loved, but there's just some, some struggles in there and, and you're, still, you're, you're fighting for more. Or maybe there is a dysfunction in, in the family and, and there wasn't much love bestowed on you or your siblings. And, and so it was a battle for what love was offered. <coughs> but whether it's some of those just foundational things of love or, or, or battle for who gets the best cut of the brownie, which is the corner, by the way. If you disagree, we can talk about that. That'll be next week's message. Um, <laughs> there's always some kind of competition in there. And so here we have a relationship that for all of our life has had some kind of competition. I don't know what has brought this on, but this has just increased tenfold in our family. Um, my, my son is an absolute complete mama's boy. He loves his mama. If he gets hurt, he runs straight to her. If I ever say no to anything, he runs to her to tattle on daddy. <laughs> daddy! So he's a mama's boy. He goes to mom to the point where he gets so jealous. If one of my girls is snuggling with my wife, he, he, he wants them off. He tries to rip them off because he wants that spot. And there's such a, a competition for mom's affection. Even though she's got all this love to give and loves them all and wants to pour it out on all three of them. I'm trying to figure out a way to like ha- turn a leg into a third arm so she can snuggle all three of them at the same time. But I don't know. That's kind of weird. Um, <laughs> even though she wants, she's trying to pour all this love out, there's still a competition. And so we're, Paul's saying here, even in a situation where you have a relationship that's full of competition, we're, we're to be unified, and that begins with humility. And that humility looks like considering them as more important than myself. Because this isn't talking about an actual self-worth. This isn't talking about a value. 
See, we're united in that value. For one, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, so we've all screwed up in one way or another. It doesn't matter, big or small. We've all screwed up in a way that separates us from God. But then we all have worth and value in the, in the seen in the truth that God sent his son. For God so loved that he sent Jesus. That gives you value. That makes you worth something. That God would send his son to die on your behalf so that your sins could be paid for, so you could be with him in eternity. If you are ever struggling with your self-worth, you stop and you think on the cross. You think about what Jesus has done for you because he loves you. That is where your worth comes from because of who Jesus says you are. He says you're worth dying for. And so when we look at that, we see that we're all in the same position. And yet Paul's calling us to consider others more important than ourselves. It's not the people necessarily. It's saying the call is to treat them with the priority over our own desires. And the evidence for this is seen in the text. Verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so this, this elevation of others is their interest, putting their interests as a priority above your own. Because see, humility comes by looking to the interests of others over your own. If unity is found, if the goal is unity, unity comes through humility. humility. Humility comes through looking to the interests of others above your own. When it's snack time in our house, my, my one daughter always goes for a double portion. And at first, this kind of bugged me. I'm like, no, just you, you get the same thing everyone else gets. But I began to see her heart. What was so beautiful is the reason she won that double portion is like, say, you know, they weren't all right there. If there's one playing in the other room, hadn't come for snack yet. She wanted to go share. She wanted to go bring that, that, that double portion to her sibling. Even like after soccer games where they have the snacks, the orange slices and, and juice boxes and all that, her sister's not even there watching her. She, she had something else going on, and so she's back at home at this point. She still wants the double portion to go and share, and she wants to bring that to her sister. She's, she's considering the needs and the interests of others. Man, I, the more I thought on that, I was just humbled by that. Do I look at my sister? Do I look at my, 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 my step-siblings with that kind of a heart? Would you cancel your plans to serve your sibling? Would you make a personal sacrifice to be with them in their time of need? Would you set aside your hurt to be able to address theirs? I think this question... Uh, it's really difficult when there's a mutual hurt, when you're both in conflict with each other and you both feel like you've hurt the other. Would you be willing to set your hurt aside to help try and deal with theirs first? Would you offer grace and mercy and forgiveness regardless of if it's returned? If you answered no to any of these, first year in present company, I think that we, we can really struggle with this. Say, no, I'm not sure if I'm there yet. But I want you to see that as an opportunity to work towards unity. When we can put our siblings' interests before our own, that will move us towards unity as we live out this humble life. These are not easy questions. These are not easy things to live out. And I think Paul knew this, and he wants to offer us some encouragement. So he says this in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus the King took on the form of a servant. Jesus, who is God, was born in human form. With all the limitations that come with that, he submitted himself to the limitations of being in human form. 
Jesus, our Lord and Savior, gave up his life, not only by going to the cross, the point of death, but, but a way of death that was, was seen as a curse. And he did all this to make a way for us to be with him in eternity. So here's God Almighty. Jesus comes and, and, and is a servant, gives up his life through a cursed manner, experiences life in human form, does all this. He humbles himself out of his love for us to unify us with the Father. Let's be encouraged by the work of Jesus as he places value upon us and humbles himself. For our sake, let's follow suit in that. Let's place such value on our siblings. Again, this applies to other relationships as well, but this morning we'll look in the context, the lens of siblings. Let us let that be our example in counting others as more significant. As I continue to read through this passage, I had to kind of double check because he keeps hitting on these things. I'm like, man, if, as I think about this in the context of siblings, this is my next issue with what Paul's calling me to. And it, he's not talking about siblings specifically, but it really fits. If you jump ahead to Philipp, Philippians 2, 14 through 16, Paul gives some great advice when it comes to how do we live this out. So we're seeking unity. We know it's going to take humility. We know humility doesn't come easily. And he says this in 2.14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Every Sunday that we gather, um, my hope is that, again, you have at least some moment that you can hold on to something that either convicts you of something or encourages you, something you can walk out of, like, man, that... I feel like um, I really heard from God in that. As, I, as, I, as we dig into his word, as we want to hear from God, we want to have an experience with Jesus. Okay, I, I want to know more about what you're like, Jesus. Or, or here's an issue in my life I'm really struggling with. Give me some insight into that. My heart, my prayer for you is that we'd each walk out of here with something. I've always viewed, um, anytime you're, you're hearing the word of God preach, I, I view that as a meal. Think of it this way. Who can tell me what you had for dinner last Tuesday night? I have no idea. No idea what I have for dinner last Tuesday night. If you can remember, awesome. You have a great memory. Um, go back further. What did you have last Mother's Day? You know, maybe, maybe remember that because it's a holiday. What did you have a year ago Tuesday? <clears throat> you may not have any clue what you have for those meals, but if you didn't have them, you would be weaker today than you are now. Those meals were life-giving. Even if you can't remember every aspect of them, they were life-giving. And that's my heart my hope Anytime we hear the word of God preach is that it would be life-giving to you. In the same way that a meal fills us up, and sometimes there's something we can take with us after a meal, I pray that you would be filled up with the word of God and have something to kind of take with you. Sometimes it's something amazing. Man, that, that steak, you didn't need to season it at all. It just melted in your mouth. Oh my gosh, that was the best steak of my life. Top three right there. Maybe there's a lesson you learned. Hey, that passage that talked about this and how to respond to my, my siblings and, and just the people in general, man, that, that, that was revolutionary for me. That was so good. That's just going to change my whole outlook on how I engage with my siblings, how I engage with others. But sometimes we're left with something that doesn't quite sit right. You know, hey, you want to go out after dinner? No, I need to stay close to home. Something's kind of mixing up in here. I'm not sure. You may, you may want to go on without me. And sometimes we get those kind of things too. We're feeding on God's word. Sometimes we get something like, ah, I, I think I'm understanding this truth right, but I don't, I don't like how it feels. 
I don't want to consider my, my, my siblings' interests over my own. I don't want to be humble in relationship to my siblings. I don't want to do all things without grumbling or, or disputing. But we realize that these meals are good for us one way or another. They, they leave us stronger as a result of going through them. For some of us here today, Philippians 2.14 might be that moment. It might be that, that thing that we take away from this meal today. It might just be that peace. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. If you can just apply that to your relationship with your siblings, that might change the relationships in revolutionary ways you, you never imagined you could. Let this be an encouragement to you. Even if this is more of a rebuke, even as you read this passage, you're like, wow, that doesn't, that doesn't feel good. I'm the biggest complainer in my family. Even if this doesn't sit well, be encouraged by this call to do all things without grumbling or dispute. I was on a missions trip back in my youth pastor days. We took a bunch of students down to uh, closer to the city. It was kind of a service project. It was a local missions trip. and um, It was a week long that we were going to be there. And one of the first things they did is they taught on this passage, Philippians 2.14. And uh, it was a challenge. Hey, you're going to have all kinds of different things coming at you this week. And an invitation to give each other permission to speak into each other's lives and say, hey, 214 it. 214 it. And we knew that if we were to say that to someone else, what they were saying to you is, it was a gentle reminder, do things without grumbling or complaining. We're here for a purpose. We're here to make Jesus known to others. <clears throat> so let's do all that we do without complaining, without grumbling. 214 it. I would encourage you to find someone in your life that you're willing to give the permission to lovingly nudge you and say, hey, 214 it. 214 it. Just a loving reminder that, hey, you know what? That's right. I need to keep these complaints to myself. I need to live differently, not only in relationship to my siblings, but into all relationships. And here's what I love. We're going to end with this because I'm already over my time, and I apologize for that, but thank you for the grace. In doing so, when we live differently in the midst of this world, we live in a way that follows after Jesus. Look at verse 15. We live amongst this world among whom you shine as lights in the world. When we live out this kind of lifestyle, we make Jesus known. When we walk the hard road of trying to keep complaints to ourselves and not vocalizing them, we walk the hard road of trying to be humble, especially in relationship to our siblings. We try to consider others' interests before our own. When we live that kind of lifestyle, we are making Jesus known to the world. We are sharing his love and his grace and his mercy with others who need to know about that. Seek and strive to live in unity with your siblings, with your family, with those in your life. In doing so, you honor them and you glorify God and you point others to him. This is God working in and through you. Let's pray. Father God, you are an awesome God. We thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for siblings. As much as we have a story of um, crazy things that have happened uh, and, and heartache in the midst of sibling relationships, Father, I hope and pray that we can also have stories of just joy and love as we engage in life together with our siblings. Father, I pray that you would do a work of restoration. I know that there are um, some here today who really struggle uh, in this sibling relationship, Father. That there's a discord, there's a disconnect, there's a brokenness that exists. Father God, I pray that you'd give each one of us, especially those in these uh, situations of conflict, give us um, the peace, the strength, the humility to consider our siblings' interests above our own. 
to swallow our own pride and to do it without complaining, without grumbling, but to know that we're making this sacrifice so that we can make you known amongst the nations. And I, I pray, Father, that when we reach out to our siblings that are, are, are reaching out to what we've met in the same love, that you would soften hearts, that you do such a work, Father, that not only would you be working in each of our lives, that not only would our lives look vastly different than when we were young as we've grown in you, Father God, but I pray that you would redeem our, our, our relationships with our siblings, that those relationships would look vastly different than when we were young, that what used to be competition would now be cooperation in the gospel. Let's be like sons of thunder. Let's be like uh, James and Jude. Let's be like brothers and sisters. Not only as a family father, but as part of the family of God. And in closing, Father, we just thank you that in Jesus we are welcome into the family of God. That regardless of, of what family we have left in this life, regardless of, of how far they may live away or how near, that we have a family here in this place. We have a family in the, in the, in the people of God. Pray us all in your name. Amen.